Welcome to the Monash University Perioperative Medicine podcast series. My name is Jamie Smart and I'm joined by Dr. Jonathan Nicholson. Jonathan is the convener of our perioperative medicine short course and has been instrumental in establishing a regular perioperative ward round at the Alfred Hospital here in Melbourne. Thank you for joining me, Jonathan. That's all right, Jamie. The introduction of a perioperative ward round into hospital practice is a significant change in the way that we've traditionally managed the post-operative patient. So what were the driving forces behind the introduction of such a service? Well, we were finding here at the Alfred that many of our high-risk patients who had had either intermediate or high-risk surgery were ending up going to the ward. Um, they would often be re reviewed in recovery by the uh, intensive care team, but unless they required any immediate critical care support, such as vasopressor support, they would often be deemed suitable to go to the ward. Now, this is understandable because the there are limitations upon uh, the resources available in intensive care and in high dependency units. And we ended up having quite a few of these patients going to the wards on a weekly basis. Um, and while we know that for the first 48 hours, these patients are at particularly high risk of suffering complications, it was only when studies such as ISOS came out in the International Surgical Outcome Study, we realized how high these rates of complications were. And for example, if you are a patient of an ASA 3 grade and they had an inpatient surgery, in, well, a surgery requiring an inpatient stay, that their rate of complication was around 30%. And even more concerning was that if once they had suffered that complication, the chance of dying was five times greater than those who hadn't suffered a complication. And so we really felt that there was an opportunity uh, to impact upon the care of these patients on the ward and to try and prevent uh, complications occurring in the first place, but if they do occur, that we identify them early um, and then manage them uh, appropriately to try and prevent that failure to rescue that's been spoken about so much in the literature in recent years. And the overall goal is really to try and make the wards a safer place rather than dedicating more and more resources to critical care beds, which is probably unrealistic in the coming years um, because of the increasing comorbidities of patients we are going to be operating on and, and these patients having high-risk surgery, we wanted to try and establish a system that we can safely look after these wards, uh, these patients are on general surgical wards. So is there good evidence that we can reduce post-operative complications by improving post-operative care? Well, there's not really at the moment um, any good evidence to say that this sort of intervention um, is going to reduce complications. But that's not necessary to say that that um, isn't going to come in the future. Um, there have been small trials suggesting benefit to patients who get a higher level of care. Uh, Mike Swart and his colleagues in uh, Torbay Hospital in the UK published in the BJ in 2016 an interesting study which um, used a predicted 30-day mortality to plan post-operative destination for colorectal patients. And they said that anyone who was over 4% risk of mortality, they would end up looking after those patients on critical care, um, and anyone less than 1% would go to the ward. But there was the group in between that would either be dead, um, sent to the ward or would be put on uh, in, in, in the critical care unit. And they looked at the outcomes of these patients and found that the patients who went to the ward ended up having a significant higher complication rate than those patients who went to the critical care unit, such that 10% of patients ended up actually needing to go back for reoperation, whereas no uh, zero patients uh, who were looked after on the high dependency unit went for a reoperation. 
he also looked at the cost analysis of this and said, well, actually, if the patient had gone to the critical care unit initially, we would have saved more money. So there is an indication there, but this is difficult to translate into a larger scale. And this was tried uh, last year, the intensive care medicine. There was a trial, um, well, there was a study which was published using the data from the ISOS study. Um, they tried to prove that there was a survival benefit from patients going to critical care after their surgery, and they were unable to find a survival benefit. Uh, and, and the authors commented that it really just wasn't possible to rule out residual confounding um, due to unknown variables. So, for example, they couldn't say uh, whether one hospital's critical care was the same as another hospital's critical care, and likewise the ward um, care was variable between hospitals. And I think that um, with the advent of more perioperative initiatives and perioperative medicine interest throughout the world, that we're going to see um, teams uh, operating more on the wards and no doubt more trials looking into how this care can impact upon what we know is a significant rate of complications. And one which is undergoing, um, a, 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 well, about to start or has started, Guy Ludbrook in Adelaide, he's looking at a study where he, taking advanced level care in the recovery room and seeing if whether that will impact upon outcomes and costs on the medium risk surgical patients. So I'm hopeful that we'll know more in the, in the coming years as uh, more trials are done in this area. So this service that you've, you've set up and been running looking after patients on the ward in the perioperative period. How, can you explain how that perioperative service works within the hospital? Yeah, so when we set it up, we wanted to ensure that we were targeting the correct patients. So the most important thing was to really set out a clear referral criteria, which we based upon the trial that Dave Story did, um, the reason study, and that was a, a local population, uh, Australia and New Zealand patients, and looking at the uh, outcomes after inpatient non-cardiac surgery in aged over 70. Um, and we found that there were five or six criteria which um, were associated with the high level, uh, high rates of complications. And so we included this in a referral criteria. So we were then able to target um, two or three patients per day and dedicate the appropriate time to them. Once that referral um, is done by the anaesthetist and that's put onto an electronic list, we are able to then follow up the patient. And if required, we, can, we have the resources to be able to get the patient seen uh, the night of surgery. We have an intensive care fellow or a senior registrar who are on the wards overnight that we can ask to review the patient. But we normally would just see the patient the next day, uh, day one or day two, and that would be by a consultant or a fellow in perioperative medicine from the anaesthetic department. We also integrate uh, with the medical teams, the physicians um, who are very keen on in, uh, evolving their perioperative medicine service as well. And so we've integrated it such that they also assist us with those rounds and then have the ability to look after the patients beyond the 48 hours um, and ongoing care to discharge if required. And what we really wanted to do with the round was ensure that we were making a uniform service. So we were lucky enough to have a well-established pre-assessment clinic um, that was producing a, an electronic um, as a record of, of what, was, what was discussed in an assessment. And we wanted to use that information to really identify the individual risk for that patient um, and to find out um, what exactly it was that was most likely to occur to that patient use that information in the post-operative period 
to um, identify early and try and prevent early complications. But not only um, just keeping that information to us, we found it in incredibly powerful to engage the nursing staff by telling them that, look, this one patient that's come up to your ward is actually very high risk of developing, for example, a chest infection, and that these are the things we, we want you to do or to look out for. Um, and it's quite empowering for the nursing staff to have that information. And so this uh, integrated service is how we've set it up, um, and it allows us to work alongside our surgical colleagues to try and hopefully uh, impact positively upon these uh, patients' outcomes. Okay, so which, which patients in particular do you think are going to benefit from such a service? What are you, what are you starting to see looking at, uh, looking at your service now? Well, we've really um, used the service in a couple of different ways. One is to identify the high-risk patients, as I've discussed. Um, and in those patients, we ended up having, uh, from our auditing, we've looked at, we, we've, we're sort of impacting on around 55% of these patients' care. And we're hopefully these, these changes that we're making in their, uh, their clinical course are positive. Um, but we're also able to then help with the enhanced recovery pathways that we have in place, for example, for our esophagectomies and also for our hip and knee arthroplasty patients. But a, a secondary benefit that we hadn't anticipated was the fact that we're on the ward seeing what issues are arising in these high-risk patients have allowed us to identify, for example, uh, in our hospital, we were finding that the main problem that patients were suffering was hypotension. And this may end up leading to uh, cardiac or renal dysfunction uh, further down the line. But our medical emergency team or the MET call system was highlighting that in our surgical patients that hypotension was the key uh, contributor to, to calls. And so having that knowledge and ability and, and, and being on the ground seeing this, we were able to then institute changes such as we've Im implemented protocols um, around ACE inhibitor and angiotensin receptor blockade um, in the perioperative period and, and to be emitting those day, uh, well, preoperatively day zero and day one. And also introduce initiatives such as a, a fluid bolus initiative in patients who are high risk of bleeding. So it's not only just identifying the patients, it's uh, the, the, the particularly high risk, but it's also implementing hospital-wide initiatives that can hopefully impact upon the care of all uh, post-operative patients. Okay, so look, traditionally the, the care of these type of patients post-operatively um, post has been the responsibility of the surgical team and, and the consulting physicians, as you've mentioned. Did you encounter any resistance when trying to establish sort of this you know, innovative new system? Well, not really any sort of resistance. The surgical teams were very receptive to the idea. Um, and I think that they understandably wanted to retain control or ownership of these patients. And that's fine. And we were happy for that to occur. We want to be a sort of consulting service that we're allowing to assist the surgical teams uh, in the care of these patients. I think where the challenge is, uh, is trying to integrate um, different uh, departments and and uh, and how to try and make sure that we're providing an effective and smooth and um, integrated perioperative service because we've got interest from the physicians we have interest from geriatricians um, and also we want to make sure that we're not overlapping work and so that's the challenge and I think we've hit a, a fine a good balance now that we're able to utilize uh, each of the departments and each of the specialties um, in the period of the perioperative journey, which allows us to impact the most. And so while maintaining the 
the care under primarily under the care of the surgeons. The surgeons have been very happy to have the involvement of perioperative teams. Okay, and so since the introduction of this service, do you think it's working? Are you starting to see improvement in post-operative outcomes? I think it's, it is a little bit too early for us to say for sure. Um, we are in the middle of analysing the data on our first two years which, in which we saw 500 patients. Um, having looked at the first 200 of those 500 patients, the, the signs are encouraging. Um, our failure to rescue rates delayed admission to ICU rates and 30-day mortality rates seem to be good. However, I don't want to say too much at this stage because we haven't rigorously analysed the data, so um, we can't say uh, just yet. But hopefully we'll know soon and we'll be able to say whether what we've done has had a positive impact upon these high-risk patients. So if you were to um, consult on another hospital, what advice would you give to any perioperative clinician wanting to set up a similar system within their hospitals? From the experience, I think the first thing I'd like to have done would be to identify uh, early the, the, the procedures and the patients that you think you can impact upon. And when you've identified that, I would recommend finding baseline data. And in that, you'll have to decide what it is you want to measure to prove that your service is going to have a positive outcome or, or have an outcome. And so whether it be failure to rescue rates, whether it be complication rates, whether it be mortality, I think it's very useful to have that baseline data before you establish a system. Once that's done, it's important to then, I think, uh, try and engage enough people or as many people as you can from not only within your own specialty, be it uh, anaesthetics uh, or being a physician, I think it's important to try and integrate perioperative medicine across specialties and um, involve geriatricians, involve surgeons, involve anaesthetists, involve physicians. Um, and if you can bring a team together early and establish a system um, that will work uh, for your hospital, then it can be very effective, but it's important to do that at the start. And then when you start seeing the patients, measure the effect, so um, have a, a good audit system. And once you've got that system set up, you can then take some data to the board and hopefully um, lobby for further funding to maybe add in a pharmacist, a physiotherapist, or a nursing staff member to the service. And I think that's when we will really see um, good change in patient care postoperatively in a formalized perioperative service. So obviously this service is a good example of uh, communication and teamwork helping to improve um, patient outcomes. Every good team needs a leader. Um, obviously this one, this system is that we've got is being led by the anaesthetic department. Do you think anaesthetists are the best placed or does it, or could it be any interested physician that could be the leader of such a, such a round? I think it's um, difficult to say one specialty to own this field. I think it's something which has come up in many meetings uh, over the last few years is that the college certainly are trying to um, insist that actually we have multidisciplinary teams involved in perioperative medicine and it's not uh, an area which is going to be unique to anaesthetists or to physicians but actually if we can integrate it now whoever leads it doesn't really matter it depends on who the interests um, whoever has the interest within a particular hospital um, it's how that service can be then rolled out using uh, the departments that, and the resources that are available in each individual institution, I think. Um, from an overall perspective, I think that the colleges are in close communication to try and 
um, convey that message. And I think that we, we can do that at a hospital level. And um, it's certainly there are skills uh, within the physicians, within anaesthetists, which we can all bring together um, and to try and produce a very effective team. But what we want overarching uh, potentially is that in the future, the perioperative service to or perioperative medicine, medics to have the same um, curriculum or the same knowledge base from which they're then able to, to refer to and to train through um, in order to produce these perioperative specialists. Jonathan, thank you for your time. Thank you.